If you know me, then you know my story. If you don't, then here it is. I'm a husband, father, and a one percenter in my industry, living what most consider to be the American dream. Then triumph went to tragedy. My 14-year-old daughter passed away suddenly and tragically. The dream became a nightmare. A time of despair became a year of repair. I went from learning to survive to learning to thrive. This time, life was gonna be on my terms. I went on a journey of self-discovery. What I avoided in my past, I made my immediate future. I took massive action. I decided to change. I decided to not be a victim. I made the decision to be the complete version of myself, which is what led me to create this podcast, The Daily Decision. Let me help you achieve your dream. Let me help you find true fulfillment. Let me help you become the best version of yourself. The choice is yours. Take massive action now. Make the decision today. Invest in yourself. Listen and learn along with me because my job is to ensure that you can find greatness without tragedy. My job is to ensure what happened to me doesn't happen to you. It all starts with a decision. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Daily Decision. I'm your host, Michael Chabot. Today we have the pleasure and honor of having Lisa Ryan join us. Lisa Ryan, CSP helps organizations develop employee engagement strategies that keep their top talent from becoming someone else's. Lisa is a certified speaking professional and best-selling author of 10 books, including Manufacturing Engagement. She has also served on many nonprofit boards, including president of the American Welding Society, Cleveland chapter, and serving two terms as president of the National Speakers Association, Ohio chapter. She is a proud Cleveland native and received her MBA from Cleveland State University. She has been blissfully married to Scott since 1996, and they are proud parents of two very spoiled cats. <laughs> Lisa, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. It's my pleasure. So what type of cats do you have? Well, I have Tinkerbell, the world's greatest cat, who is a, uh, she's 11 years old this year and a wow. tuxedo. So just your little, you know, standard black and white cat. But I have never had of a cat that has loved me like this one does. And then Simba, who's more my husband's cat, is a um, kind of a cross between a Russian blue and a gray tiger. So she's mm. got the tiger M, if you know, on the forehead. Um, but her coloring is primarily gray, like a Russian blue. So she's a beautiful cat. She's just a little bit more skittish than Tinkerbell, who is looking at me right now and wondering why she's not on my lap. <laughs> because since I'm talking to somebody, she can't figure out that it's not her that I'm talking to. Of course. I love it. <laughs> they sound beautiful. So I always like to ask this question, which is when someone finds out what you do, what question do they always ask? Um, boy, that is a really good question. Yeah, because there's two aspects of my business. The, it starts with gratitude. So when it comes to gratitude, probably the, the question people most ask me is when things are going on like they're going on right now. I mean, we have the pandemic going on. We have all these, uh, this racial um, insecurity going on right now. How do you still manage to find gratitude? And when you get in the practice of having that regular um, practice where you're looking for the good, it just, you know, your brain starts to look for it. That's the key. And then on the other side of my business, when I talk about employee engagement, people will say, well, that's just a psychobabble. That's just, you know, soft skills. Why should people pay for that? And it, it's because if you really look at it, these are not soft skills. These are essential skills. Mm. And even when I'm talking about employee engagement, it still has that foundation of gratitude and appreciation because when employees feel that they are um, valued, that they are acknowledged, that they are respected in the workplace, they will work much harder for you as an employer. Mm. I love that answer. And I want to get into that a lot more because I think in doing my research on you, I, I found it really interesting talking about the different 
mindsets and, and between employees and employers and how each one has a responsibility to the other. And, and it's really interesting. So, but before we get there, I got to ask you about being a welder. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you have an MBA, you do all this great stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with being a welder. I think it's awesome and it's a great trade to have, but how did you get into that? Well, I was actually selling a welding consumables into the maintenance environment. So unlike, um, you know, Lincoln Electric or some of the companies that sell more of a fabrication type welding rod that's used on clean flat surfaces, my products were designed for the maintenance environment. So mm -hmm. being able to weld through dirt and grease and grime and out of position to minimize downtime in the plant. So in order for me to go and do these demonstrations for my potential clients, um, I had to learn how to weld and I fell in love with it, literally. I took a class, the local community class, the local community college had a class on welded art. And I took that four quarters in a row at this college and the instructor and I became very good friends and not only would I be there for the class every Saturday, but then her and I would just play in the weld shop wow. for like four hours afterwards. And uh, until the, the <laughs> real welders didn't like all of us artists playing <laughs> with their toys. But from a customer standpoint, it was great because I was actually able to take the pictures of my artwork and show my clients and, you know, and I could mm. weld a pretty good bead back in my day. So, wow, that's know. impressive. <laughs> I, I got as far as metal shop in high school many, many moons ago, but I know welding is an art form for sure. It really is. And yeah. it's just cool, particularly even when you're doing things like you're using a torch to heat up the metal and then you can bend it with your bare hands, wearing gloves, of course. Of course. But it's just, <laughs> you know, nothing was better than going to a junkyard when they used to actually be able to allow us to go through and pick through the metal yeah. scrap that we want. Now it's not safe, of course. Ugh, right, liability. Right. But back in the day, that was, it was just a ton of fun. That is fun. I love that. All right. So I'm chomping at the bit here because gratitude is a big thing for me. Um, you know, as you and I talked about just briefly for anybody who's new to the show, you know, I, I came to podcasting through tragedy. I lost my daughter a couple of years ago, suddenly, and I have learned to find gratitude even through tragedy. You know, every day, I mean, the first thing I do is I'm grateful to open my eyes and have a chance to make a difference every day. And so I think a lot of us, especially in this society that we live in with smartphones and computers, I think we're always chasing what we don't have and not appreciating what's right in front of us and, and what the blessings that we have in our lives. So I really want to talk about this. And I guess the first question that I want to ask you is, how did you come to gratitude and a gratitude practice? was actually kind of funny. I went to a, a four-day um, seminar. This was mm. back in 2009. There was a firewalk involved, so that gives you a little clue as far as whose uh, seminar it was. And my friends and I went with three of my friends, and we were driving home from Chicago, and we were, you know, we're pretty fired up, literally, no pun intended. <laughs> and <laughs> um, But we also knew that unless we took action, you know, that our lives would go right back to where we were before, because of course, that's kind of a pattern that you go to when you go to these life changing events. So what we decided to do is we opened up a Facebook thread. And then every day we just shared, you know, people we met experiences that we had things that we learned. And one of my friends, Mike, said, well, why don't we write down three things that we're grateful for? Now, I had never heard of a formal gratitude practice. I think Mike had been watching Oprah or something. So we're like, okay, that's fine. Did it every day and we held each other accountable. And that was what made, that was really what changed everything because I went into it with no preconceived notions as far as what gratitude could do, could do, could, uh, what gratitude could do. Mm. It was just kind of a nice thing that I did with some friends. And that practice literally changed every area of my life. And when I started doing the research on it, because I was, the question was, is gratitude more than this feel good emotion that we normally ascribe to it? And by reading thousands of white papers and books and attending programs and seeing, 
I learned that scientifically, gratitude is much more important to not only our perspective as far as our health, our self, it has health benefits, it improves our relationships, it improves the workplace. It's one tool that can literally change every single area of your life. And because of that practice, I knew that that was the message I was supposed to bring to the world. Mm. Um, you know, I kind of always wanted to be a speaker, but I didn't know what I wanted to speak about. I was in sales, but I really didn't want to speak about sales. And I had done some network marketing and again, wasn't really passionate about speaking about that. But when it came to this practice of gratitude, it was like I knew to the core of my being that that was my message. And 10 years later, you know, I'm, I'm still doing it and it just gets better and better. I love it. So for those that are listening, and, and I know that, you know, it's, it, let's talk about how do you create a gratitude practice? What goes into it? Because I know that some people, you know, they it kind of gets mundane for them. They say the same things every day. Like, Hey, I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my house. I'm grateful for my kids. I've heard people say that you really have to, when you're practicing gratitude, you have to really feel it. You have to connect with the emotion of it. Right? Absolutely. And there's something when I talk about the gratitude practice, because people will ask me, well, does it have to be different all the time? And the answer is no, but by adding detail to it, like for myself, you know, I'm grateful for my husband a lot, thankfully, yeah. especially since we're stuck at home for the last three months together. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Thank goodness that I helps. love him as much as I do. But there'll be different aspects of Scott that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the yard work that he did. I'm grateful for the fact that he brought me breakfast today up in my office. I'm, so there's these little things that, that add that detail to it that keeps it from getting boring. Mm. And it's a practice that literally takes two minutes. I mean, I, I wake up and before my feet hit the ground to take that first long walk down the hallway in the morning, you know, I write down five things that I'm grateful for, starting with, I am grateful for. And mm. then I will, will write those down. And a lot of times, particularly if I'm speaking at an event, I'll be grateful in advance. You know, I'm so grateful that I rock the presentation at you know, whatever corporation or association I'm speaking to, because that way it, it sets this positive expectation. I think the most helpful hint that I give when it comes to gratitude practice is pick a journal or a notebook or something without dates in it. Mm. Dates will mess you up. Interesting. You know? Because think about it, you get a journal and it has all these dates in it and you're really good for the first week. And then you skip a couple days and then you go back and you feel all guilty seeing those blank spaces in your book. So either you try to remember the things that happened those three days so you can fill in the blanks or you just say, well, screw it. You know, I messed up these couple days. I can't remember. And then the practice just goes. Mm. So if you have some kind of notebook. I mean, mine, I wrote a, a gratitude journal the way that I like to do it with no, with no dates in it. And, you know, and I also have, I use loose leaf paper in a binder and then I date it. So I, if for whatever reason I'm traveling or life gets in the way and I get out of practice, then I just basically forgive myself and pick it up where I left off. But what I notice is when I haven't done my gratitude practice for whatever reason, life doesn't work as well. You know, I, I like, what is going on? I don't feel as good as I normally do. Uh, you know, what's going on? I'm like, oh, gratitude. And mm. it's almost like the second you get back to focusing on those good things, taking that one to two minutes in the morning, that changes everything almost immediately. I love that. Um, Got a lot of questions after that, but I agree. I use a blank book because sometimes you just, you get off schedule. And, and I love that because it's not about feeling guilty or doing it because you're obligated. It's about doing it because it helps. But what I really want to talk to you about is, so talk to us or tell us about what is practicing gratitude do from a neurological standpoint in the brain? It, it actually does rewire the brain. Um, there are countless studies 
that show the after effects of gratitude. Um, actually, one of my favorite websites for that is the um, Greater Good, the, the um, Greater Good Center mm. at the University of Ber at Berkeley, basically, if you go to their website or just do a search on Greater Good Science Center, that's the official name for it. And they have a, a lot of research. Uh, Robert Emmons, who's probably the number one researcher in the world as far as the power of gratitude is on, uh, is on staff there, and he incorporates mm. a lot of his. But um, I know for myself that my brain has been rewired because I, I'm not saying that gratitude is, oh, everything is happy, happy, joy, joy, because sometimes life really sucks. Yeah. You know, it's bad things happen and we get frustrated, we get angry and we're sad and we're depressed and all of these things happen. But gratitude, the magic of gratitude is once you get out of the rawness of whatever that emotion is, that you can then ask yourself the question, what's one good thing I can find about this? What's one thing that whether I can be grateful for for it now, or maybe I know that I'll look back on this and be grateful, what's one thing? Because sometimes mm. we can't get to five, sometimes we can't get to two. But if you work at it, you know, if you work on it, you can always find one. Yes. And as a speaker, I would always joke about the fact that, well, nothing bad ever happens to a speaker. You know, we just get new material. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it literally happens that something bad happens. And one of my very first responses is, okay, where's the good? Where mm -hmm. can I find the good? Mm. And the other thing that I have to do that for is every Thursday, my gratitude thought of the week comes out. Oh. And the the first couple years I did it, it was pretty much evergreen. You know, I would I would pick things that, you know, I could write those 10 weeks in advance and just send them out because they were good from now till the end of time. <laughs> and uh, um, several years ago, I, I changed mail providers and I just started writing them in the moment, in the week. And so they're real. Mm. And my subscribers have had me go through, you know, my great niece and great nephew being born uh, three months early, my other great niece being born with cancer, my dad shattering his hip, having to move him into assisted living. I mean, all these things that when you think about it, you know, are some of life's most painful, tragic moments, like the moments that you had losing your daughter. Mm -hmm. But when we turn around and we say, what's the good that happened of it? What's the good that happened with COVID-19? What's the good that happened with George Floyd's death? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we can start to look at COVID-19. The planet is healing itself, for goodness sake. You know, the pollution is going down. Nature is healing itself. We're spending more time with family that we've never had before. You know, George Floyd opened up a whole new conversation yes. that, that people weren't having. So even though both situations are tragic and lots and lots of bad stuff came out of it, but when you focus on finding what's that one tiny minuscule good thing that you can, that you can find, you start there and then you realize just this outpouring of blessings that can come from even the worst tragedies. Mm. I love that you said that because I tell everybody that my daughter and her passing gave me a gift because it changed the way that I look at the world. It changed the way that I think. It changed everything for me. So you can definitely find good from the bad. Why do you think it is as a society we are programmed to not see the good? I think most of us, I'm not going to say all of us, but I think most people in society see the bad and, and not the good. Why do you think that is? Well, we're wired that way. I mean, mm -hmm. it, goes, it goes back to, I like to liken it to caveman days. You know, if you were nice to that saber-toothed tiger, for goodness <laughs> sake, it was going to eat you. But um, Sonia Lubomirsky, who has done a lot of happiness research, actually found that 50% of our personality is wired for either optimism or pessimism, or, mm. you know, realism, like the pessimists like to call it. But... <laughs> So it's, it's more difficult for them to, to, for somebody who's wired as a pessimist to find the good. But if you look at just our training from uh, the news media, you know, mm. if it bleeds, it's le it leads. 
Yeah. People don't buy newspapers based on all the happy, good stuff that's going on on the planet. They want to find out about the tragedy and, and you know, what's the, the murders and deaths and riots and fires and, ooh, what's going on? You know, if you have something that's happy all the time, it's just like, ah, okay, whatever. Yeah. So it's it's sad. <laughs> yeah, know? it is. But it's you know that's just our conditioning is we're just used to things being bad, or or you know that coming out. I don't watch the news. I figure that when bad things happen, people just tell me about it. So why would I put that into my subconscious mind right before I go to sleep at night? Just don't do it. I refuse to do it. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I I deleted Facebook from my phone and because I use it a lot for my podcast, you know, for, for um, advertising and getting it out to more people. And I had to delete it because I was starting to go down just a negative thought pattern because of all the negativity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I read a great book by a gentleman by the name of Trevor Moad. I don't know if you know who he is, but yeah. he talks about hope. And he says, you know, if you're hopeless, um, you know, if you're not hopeful, you're hopeless. And if you're hopeful, you become helpful. And he told a story about a guy who was a um, refrigerated boxcar repairman and on a train and he got locked into one. And because he was locked in, he, he started writing on the wall like, well, I guess I'm going to die. I'm going to freeze to death. Right. And he passed away. And when they found him, they realized that the cooling element was broken and the temperature in the boxcar was about 52 degrees. And wow he died because he thought he would die and he gave up hope, um, which I thought was interesting. Talks about the power of the mind and um, it goes along with, um, you know, God, I'm blanking on the name of the book right now. A uh, man's search for meaning. I don't know if oh, you've yeah. read that book. Victor Frankl. Yep. Yes. Same type of thing where people in concentration camps who he said, you could, you could count to the day, the moment that they gave up hope and then how many days it would be until they died. So I thought mm -hmm. that was, Really interesting, and um, I, I think it's hard today because we're bombarded with so much negativity. What would you say to those people? I mean, is it really just about, hey, start a gratitude practice tomorrow, start with one thing a day? Um, please. Yeah, it, you know, it's really starting where you are because mm. a lot of times I'll be talking to an audience and um, it, Sometimes I will start with a, a quiz or a survey, oh. you know, of where you are on the gratitude scale. I have a, a couple different questions because generally people are happy and they're grateful. They're kind of like, duh, this is a new brand. This is a no brainer. Of course you're <laughs> grateful. But when you see the poll results starting to come up and there's generally one or two people in this room that will, will admit in this anonymous poll, I have nothing to be grateful for. Mm. And it, it, it changes the perception of, wow, you know, how can I help those people? How can I give them hope? So to start where you're at, um, this was years ago, but I was uh, working with a client and she just couldn't. She's like, Lisa, I got nothing. I, I've said, okay, well, you know, when you flicked on the light switch today, did electricity happen? And she's like, yeah, but I'm just not feeling that. So we're like going on and on and on trying to, and finally she looked at her nails and she's like, you know what? I'm grateful for the color of my nail polish. <laughs> And really, that was all she had that day. So imagine being in such a dark place that the only thing that you can be grateful for is the color of your nail polish. But she started there. And then the next day, it got a little bit better. And the next day, it got a little bit better. If you're going through a dark time in your life, this is not an overnight fix. This is not like a spoonful of sugar will help the medicine go down, mm -hmm. um, you know, right away. But it's that consistent practice of forcing yourself to look for the good, which um, I've done a couple 30-day gratitude challenges, official oh. challenges that I've done. And I wow. encourage people to do their own the funny thing about the official ones that I've done 
is that at the end of the gratitude challenge, people would send me emails. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry that the gratitude challenge is over. I was really enjoying it. I'm like, oh my goodness gracious people, part of my evil plan was that you would continue writing in your gratitude journal. The 30 days is basically to get that habit started. Yeah. And then they get it. But it's just funny because it's the all the 30 day challenges to do is to not only get you into the habit, but for you to start seeing the results. But more importantly, what happens is that other people will notice they don't know what's going on with you. Like, why are you not whining like you used to be? Why are you so cheerful all the time? Mm. You may not feel this like gates of heaven open and angels singing because you're practicing this gratitude. But by just doing this tiny little practice, it changes your energy and other people will pick up on that. That's amazing. I, you know, I was just I was sitting here and thinking about it, like even for myself after what I went through is that you have to be ready to go through it. But I think no matter what you go through, in most cases, especially here in the United States, right? We always have something that we can be grateful for. Um, it could be as little as a roof over your head, running water, right? A right. warm bed to sleep in at night. Yeah. And I think that, well, I want to ask you what you think. Do you think it's because we've become generation after generation of trying to keep up with the Joneses, just wanting more? I think that that's part of it, immediate gratification. And a lot of it is just that hedonic treadmill and that we get something great, you know, we win the lottery, something great happens, but then what happens is that becomes our new normal and we go and we just, you know, we, we just go back. If we were miserable mm. before we won the lottery, we're going to be <laughs> happy for a little bit and then we're going to go right back to miserable. Yeah. If we were happy before we won the lottery, we'll go back to that. So it, it's just, um, you know, really looking at the things that you have. One of the, th one of the things that um, a, a really great website to get a perspective, and it's been a while since I've used it, but it's called uh, Global Rich List. And in the United States, and these numbers may be a little out of date, but you know, um, the poverty level was say $11,870 a year. If you made less than $11,870 a year, you were considered in our country, the poorest of the poor. Mm. And yet when you go to global rich list and you put in $11,870, you find out that you are actually part of the 14% of the richest people on the planet. Wow. We take so much for granted. And, you know, when we can start to look for things like running water, fresh water, you know, air conditioning, transportation, uh, uh, roads, you know, that we can try, uh, that we can travel on, um, the freedoms that we have, these are the mm -hmm. things that we totally take for granted. And, you know, this is again, one of the things of COVID-19 and that we see how much we took for granted, haircuts, yeah. going out to restaurants, you know, being able to go to the gym, being able to go to the grocery store without wearing a mask. I'm still wearing a mask. Me too. Uh, but all of these things that we totally took for granted, we, we now have this realization. So sometimes gratitude is looking at what would happen if you didn't have it. Mm. You know, what would happen if you didn't have your two legs. What, how would your life be if you didn't have the house that you lived in, whatever yeah. it is. And then you're like, Oh my goodness. You know, and it just, it, it, whatever it takes to get to that finding gratitude, there's lots of practices out there. And I just encourage people to find the one that works for them. Yeah, I agree. This is really good stuff. And I was thinking, you know, a lot of people, the biggest thing they take for granted is their health. Yep. You know, it's just, they kind of expect to be healthy and be able to do what they want to do until they aren't healthy and then you realize how important it is. So, um, okay. I want to talk about something that I heard you talk about on, when I was doing my research, because I think it's, it's something that I've learned about recently and I apologize for my dog barking in the background, but it's heart math and, okay. um, the heart brain connection. Have you read the book, uh, into the magic shop by Dr. James Doty? 
I have not. I've spent a lot of time and I've used a lot of uh, HeartMath's research though. Mm. So great book. I highly recommend it. Um, okay. His In this book, he talks about how somebody taught him, you know, not, not only gratitude, but visualization, meditation, and then the, the connection between the heart and the brain. He's a neurosurgeon okay. and, and how he figured out that the heart controls the body just as much as the brain does. And sometimes the heart sends messages to the brain, but you're definitely more of an expert on this. I'd love to talk a little bit more about heart math and the heart brain connection, et cetera, if you don't sure. mind. Um, three really quick things to, to take a look at with heart math. Um, number one, they, they compared um, anger and appreciate anger and compassion mm. and its impact on the immune system. Mm. And what they found is for every five minutes you spend in anger, you're actually reducing the effectiveness of your immune system for up to six hours. So all of those people that you are letting live rent-free in your head, they're basically killing you. Oh my goodness. Um, those, same, those same five minutes spent in compassion will actually elevate the performance of your immune system for those same six hours. So we just look for ways to choose positive emotions because it does, particularly when we're so focused on the health of our immune system right now, mm. um, that you know, choosing positive emotions gives us, gives us a head up, heads up. The second study, they took a look at frustration and appreciation and its impact on the heart. And if you look at heart rate variability, which is the space between the heartbeats, what they found is that when they took a group of people, put them in, up through a period, hooked them up to monitors, mm -hmm. put them through a period of frustration, imagine what a lie detector test looks like. Okay, it's kind of all over. That's what your heart is doing when you're frustrated. Mm. But by the same token, um, same group of people hooked them up to monitors, put them through a period of appreciation, and it was this nice, even, you know, waves that you could see the physical difference. And we all mm. know how important our heart is, you know, yes. to keep us alive. Yes. And then they also have a practice called freeze frame, which is a really short meditation where you first um, focus on your um, heartbeat. So heart breath, which in itself is a form of meditation. Uh, put yourself into a place where you are filled with joy, experiencing all of those positive emotions. And then when you're feeling that to think about, you know, one thing that you're struggling with or having some issues with and just bringing that to mind briefly and saying, what can I do to look at this situation differently? And then listen to that. Mm. So it's, you know, it, it takes a couple minutes to do where you really feel that profound joy and those senses, because as you know, your body manufactures the same hormones when you're when you're thinking about joyful experiences as if you're there as if it is actually happening to you so we can we can use those periods of joy to manufacture those feel-good emotions to get us out of the stress response simply by using that and it's called freeze frame uh, mm. practice from uh from heart math Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I found, um, I'm a type personality, very high stressed, right? Um, like you in sales for a long time. And most of us that are in sales, we're, we're that, you know, go getters, high stress yep. type of people. Yep. And, um, I've actually discovered what really works for me is have you heard of box breathing? Oh yeah. Four. Yeah. Four, yeah. Four, four, four. Yep. I use that too. Yeah. It's really helped me kind of get back, but it, it's interesting because, I find that, well, I want to go back to what you were, and I apologize, but I want to go back to something before we move forward, which is back to the gratitude thing where I find that most of us, we just, we never truly enjoy the moment we're in. We say, right. we say, well, I'll be happy when, right? I'll be happy mm -hmm. when I get the raise, when I buy that bigger house, when I buy the Mercedes, right? right. When I get my bonus and then it comes and maybe in that moment we're happy. And then we find ourselves feeling that, I guess it's unfulfilled again. And what do you, why do you, I, I just want to ask your opinion. This is something that 
I'm on a life's quest to figure out is, but why do you think that is? Is it really just lack of gratitude and not being grateful for all the blessings we have in our lives? Why do you think that is? Man, that's that. I, I think that that's one of the real evils of uh, social media, of, mm. of binging on social media, because you're we're watching all of these other people who you believe have so have such a better life than you, and you know you're in this. We're in this constant comparison mode, yeah. Um, where we can just get out of it and really focus on the present. And of course, you know, like the old saying go, you focus on the present, and that's why they, yeah, it's a it's a gift. They call it the present. I, that, I'm messing, totally messing that up, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, I do. And what, you know, for myself, what this practice has really brought me back to is, how, as a speaker, as a beginning speaker, I've been doing this for 10 years now, mm. is at the beginning, I compared myself to everybody. And mm. I wanted to be Tony Robbins and I wanted to make, you know, a gazillion dollars a year and travel all over the world and have, you know, thousands of people adoring me um, as I traveled. And recently, you know, I found one of my affirmations where I had written that, you know, I'm going to be the top motivational speaker in the world. And what I realized is that's not what I want. I'm really in a good place right now. I have a husband I adore. I have work that I'm passionate about and I travel just enough. Mm. You know, I don't want to be on the road 300 days a year. I want to speak at about 50 to 60 events, go to places that I like, be around groups of people who, who like to hear my message, um, you know, travel with my husband. And, and I just realized that, that sometimes being all that in a bag of chips it, it's not necessary to happiness. You find out where your happiness is and, and just really get there. You know, what does mm. it look like? And for me, really, what I'm doing right now, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I love it. And I believe that it's that gratitude practice that ha- has helped me realize that. Do I still get, you know, oh, she's making $25,000 for that speech or he's got this new <laughs> car and, you know, my car's got 200,000 miles on it. And, but you know what? I haven't had a car payment in five years. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. You get into comparison and what's really important and the people, you know, the things that are important are my family, my husband, my husband first, you know, the rest of my family, my cats, my house, the lifestyle that I've created. And I'm just, I'm good. You get to define your own mountaintop. Yeah. Not somebody else's. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, and one thing that, uh, a quote that popped into my mind when we were talking about health and wealth and the Mm. focus is that. Um, I saw this saying that I love that we spend the first part of our life using our health to get wealth and the second part of our life using our wealth to get our health back. Yeah. So that's really what gratitude does is it keeps us focused on the things that we have right now, the good things that we have right now so that we can maintain the health that we have and we don't have to waste all of our resources trying to get back something that we totally took for granted. Yeah, I love that. So before we move on, because there's the, the time is flying and I want to make sure that I get to everything. <laughs> so somebody starting from zero, it's, it's really about go get a journal that doesn't have dates in it, right? Could be line, yes. could be blank paper, could be just line paper, blank paper in a, in a three ring binder. And is it, I, I heard you in, a, in another, uh, I watched one of your talks that you did and you talked about morning and night. Would you mind talking about that? Sure. Yeah. The morning journal and I go in spurts that I, you know, I'll do, sometimes I'll do both of them. Most of the time I'm just a morning journal person because when I'm ready to go to bed, I'm done. But the morning journal I talked about that it's two minutes in the morning. You can be grateful in advance. You set the precedent for the day and you start off your day on a really good note. The evening journal is I also call my wins journal, W-I-N-S, is looking back on the day and coming up with five good things that happened. Um, This is actually the more difficult of the two journals because if you have had a horrific day and the only good thing that happened is you didn't kill that person that you work with, (laughs) you know, sometimes that's 
the difficult thing. But again, what research shows us is that people who have a regular practice of gratitude are awake less time before this, they fall asleep. They sleep more soundly. They awaken more refreshed. So again, we'll go back to not watching the news, particularly the night news, 10 mm. o'clock, 11 o'clock, just stop that. Yes. Because you're putting so much negativity into your brain right before you go into the subconscious of, of the, you know sleeping. But if you can take that five minutes before bed and just reflect on the good things that happened. Um, the other practice that I also use, um, like I said, I don't always write down my wins, but the one practice that I use, I just call the ABCs of gratitude, mm. where as I'm struggling to fall asleep and, you know, you have all those little voices in your head telling you about all the things you, you should have gotten done and didn't get done and need to, you know, this thing called insomnia, man, it can be a bear. But what I do is take a random letter in the alphabet, you know, maybe tonight to start with D. I'm so grateful for my, you know, the opportunity to see my dad. I'm grateful for, you know, everything that I learned today. F, I'm grateful for the fun that I had. G, I'm grateful for Scott cleaning out the garage. I don't know. You just I make love up that. stuff. Yeah, it's great. But what it does is all of those little voices, now you've given them something to do. Mm. And there are some nights, you know, I will go through the alphabet, you know, twice, but most nights it's five or six letters and I am fast asleep. I love so that. these evening practices of just to calm down the mind, of look for the good, of focus on that good, um, that also helps. Not only because we know how important sleep is from a health standpoint, mm -hmm. but it just makes us, it makes that sleep a lot better. Yeah. People don't realize, and I think the more technologically advanced we get, I don't know if it's less or more, but the brain is no different than a computer, right? If you put bad stuff in it, it's going to break down. If you put yeah. good stuff, it's going to run at its top. So it's all about programming. Um, all right. So I want to get to this because there's so much to talk about in regard to what you do on the other side away from gratitude, which is in the workforce, right? With employees and employers. And I, I just think that it's, it's so important. I love the things that you talk about. Um, you know, I was on your website and I, you had three bullet points that I love. Ramp up your engagement, ramp up your leadership, ramp up your motivation. Um, can we dive into that a little bit and talk about, you know, the workplace and valuing your employees? I love that, um, you know, you say that if you don't value them, basically somebody else will, right? Like you're, yep. <laughs> you're going to yep. give them away to somebody else. And you know, I see that in my business. Um, you know, it's it's hard from an employer standpoint. I manage a team of five people and it's it's hard managing people because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people bring their their personal things from home into the workplace, right? Their habits. Right. And I think I'm gonna say this one last thing and then I'm gonna shut up because I wanna hear from you, which is I think that the biggest mistake we make as employees and employers is not to set expectations correctly. Yes. Right. Yeah. For, for good and for bad, mm -hmm. you know, of, of, of letting that employee know how they're doing. Mm. And it's really focusing on saying thank you, catching them in the act of doing things well. Because so many times, if things in business are going along swimmingly, you know, you're like, well, why should I thank my employees for doing their job? I mean, that's what they get a paycheck for. This is the way business is supposed to be. Yeah. But then when things take a turn for the worse and, you know, we have to shut down our business because we're not deemed essential right. or something else happens. It's like, oh, everything's bad or, you know, uh, shipping gets delayed or, pro you know, whatever happens. It's like we're so focused on the bad and what employees did wrong and how they messed up where if instead we can just focus on opportunities to say thank you and to be specific. You know, I really appreciate the fact that you stayed after 30 minutes to help us get this order out. You know, I know you had plans, but it means a lot. Thank you. Mm. Because now that employee is going to feel valued and noticed. My boss is paying attention to me yes. versus, well, she's making time and a half or overtime. What do I have to thank her for? And then the next time you go reach out to that person to see if they'll stay over to help out again. No, I'm out of here, man. I got plans. You didn't even notice the fact where I did it last time. So it's these tiny 
little things to do of just be looking just like you look for the good in your gratitude journal mm -hmm. you look for the good that your employees do you teach your managers to notice and recognize and applaud the efforts of your employees and to be sincere about it because number one employees know if you're not mm -hmm. and and Agreed. don't just make it another checklist item okay i thank five people today what more do you want from me okay it's just being specific and there are going to be employees that either colleagues that you work with or employees that work for you that you can't stand for whatever mm -hmm. reason you just don't like them it's not a good fit it's not about that you look for that particular person doing something better than they had done before we're not we're not comparing them to anybody else you notice them thank them for it, and they and it might just change that whole relationship wow She's actually finding me doing something well. She's not beating me up all the time. Mm. She's, you know, and it, it just starts to change that energy. And, you know, just like one person can change the entire company for the negative, that horrible, toxic person that yes. sucks the life out of the room when they walk in. Yes. Every single person in an organization, no matter what role they have, they can be janitor, they can be CEO. But by that smile, by that thank you, by that how are you doing, how can I help you type of servant leadership attitude, that's how we change cultures. And cultures don't change overnight. I tell my clients all the time, your culture didn't happen overnight. Mm. It's not going to change overnight. So when you decide to focus on things like employee engagement, on appreciation, it can't just be a check mark. And it can't be something you're thinking it's going to change overnight, but it's a long-term commitment and little tiny things that you do every day to make somebody else's life and their day just a little bit better. Yeah, I, it's a great stuff. And I think that's, from a leadership standpoint, I think that we sometimes just get, I don't know, caught in the headlights of everything that lies in front of us and we just kind of take, again, it goes back to gratitude, right? But we take for granted those people that work for us and we just expect them to do their job, right? Yep, just do your job. Exactly. Yep. Instead of remembering, <laughs> and losing my daughter did this for me as a leader, is remembering that these are human beings that have right. feelings, that have fears, that have stresses and, and this issues just like I do. And we need yep. to be aware of that and we need to treat them like human beings and use a little more empathy towards them. So let's flip it on the other side and, and say that if you're an employee, what can you do as an employee to better, to be a better employee, to be noticed more maybe by your employer or to make a difference in the workplace? Um, to not blame things on, well, I'm just having a bad day. Because the thing is that as an employee, you are also creating moments all day long with people. Mm. Uh, you can either uplift the conversation or you can destroy the conversation by snapping at somebody, by, um, you know, by just being in a bad mood, by not saying hello, by growling, whatever it is. Just realize that you have no idea where that person, what happened to that person five minutes before they came into the room with you. Exactly. And to, to be the source of, you know, whining and complaining and that negative energy. And again, I'm not saying that you have to fake it all the time and, and, you know, put on a fake amount of cheeriness, but really we, we look at life from other people, you know, is this helpful? Is this piece of gossip that I'm going to share, is mm. it helpful? Is it hurtful? Mm. You know, if that got back to that person, would it hurt them? Do I actually know this to be true? Yeah. You know, and taking responsibility for ourselves, for everything that we do, for everything that we say, mm. um, knowing that we're not going to be perfect, but trying to be the very best human being that we can be as often as we can. Yeah. Extreme ownership. I love that. Um, it's funny because while you were talking, all I kept thinking was it just comes back to gratitude, right? Even as yeah. an employee, first and foremost, be grateful that you have a job, right? That you can, you have somewhere where you can go, especially now with the amount of unemployment we have 
Um, it's funny how it all comes back to being, to noticing those little blessings that you have in your life that you take for granted really is what I look at as gratitude, seeing the good yeah. in everything. All right. I would be really upset if I let you go before talking about how you became a speaker, right? Because so many people have this huge fear of public speaking. Now you and I are both in sales or you were right. in sales. Um, and so sales is a form of public speaking in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but not quite the same as standing up on a stage with, you know, thousands of pairs of eyes staring at you. Yes. So just without rushing through it, I just want to talk about how you came to be a speaker. Was there a fear around it? And if so, how'd you push through it? Sure. Okay. Well, first of all, let me put the disclaimer on it. As a speaker, I'm still in sales every single day because yes, I, <laughs> I have to sell myself as an entrepreneur over every other speaker that they could be hiring instead of making the best choice. Of that is me. true. But I actually have wanted to be a speaker since I took my very first Dale Carnegie class back in like 1987. Mm. Um, I joined Toastmasters around the same time. And my, I remember my first uh, icebreaker speech in, in uh, Toastmasters is four to six minutes about you. And if your listeners aren't familiar with Toastmasters, it's a public speaking club. Yeah. So if you want to get more comfortable public speaking, go to toastmasters.org, check them out. But the very first talk that I did, it was I shook for a half hour before my speech and for 45 minutes afterwards. Wow. It was terrifying. Wow. And then they would say, Lisa, you had 42 ahs and ums. And then the next time, maybe I only had 30. Hmm. And then the next time I only had, so I got better and better. And then as part of my sales career, I was doing presentations. When I was in the welding industry, I was also their corporate computer trainer. When I was selling healthcare, I sold surgical gloves and HIPAA and wearing apparel into health into mm -hmm. surgery centers. And I did more than um, 500 continuing education programs um, in the seven wow. years I was there. So exciting topics like hand hygiene, double gloving, latex allergies, occupational asthma. So the most boring, painful topics on the planet <laughs> that you have to make interesting to get people to pay attention. And then, and this is probably a good, really good wrap up story anyway, um, because it was October 12th, 2010. Mm. I was having my best sales year ever. I was well on the way to winning the trip. And I was invited to an organizational announcement. Now, I didn't think anything of it because, you know, I was safe. I was having the best year of my career until my girlfriend called me, the Columbus rep, and she said, hey, conference call has been switched to 1130. And I said, really, I didn't get that email. And she said, well, that's because you weren't on the list. And I said, well, that's weird. But sure enough, 11 o'clock call came around. I called in and the uh, HR person said, hey, company's going through severe financial problems right now. We're going to lose um, $10 million this year. So we're eliminating your position effective wow. immediately. Please stay off the phone so our outplacement firm can call you. And we're not going to answer any questions. You'll have to wait till you get your package from FedEx and then HR will call you. Goodbye. Click. Wow. And as I'm sitting in my office and shaking and crying and scared and not having any idea what to do, I went to my gratitude practice and I said, what's something I can, be, I can find to be grateful for? And my goal list from 1989 popped into my head, had about 100 items on it. The first one was to buy a house. Check, I'd done that. The second one was to become a professional speaker. And the third one was to write a book. Mm. And it was almost like this physical weight lifted off my shoulders, knowing the goals that had been on my list for more than 20 years could finally come to fruition. And I decided on that day that no organization would ever do that to me again. Mm. And I became an entrepreneur and basically unemployable by any company on the planet. <laughs> Starting a speaking business in 2010, you know, during the height of the, you know, financial decline mm, yeah. um, was probably not my most brilliant idea, but I tell you, it's been, uh, it's been a joy. It's, it's, you know, I've built it from the ground up. I had probably the first four years were tough. It took me four years just to be profitable and Honestly, I wouldn't change a thing. 
I love so, it. And yeah. you've gone on to write 10 books, I read? 10 books, yep. Ten so books. You, had, you had a goal of one, you've written 10. Yes. That's amazing. Yep. I love it. Do you still get nervous when you get on stage or before a speech? Every single time. Yeah. Yeah. Every single time. Um, but I also know after I get started for the first you know minute or so, and then I'm just into it because then the butterflies fly in formation. Mm. But I always think about it. I'm glad I'm nervous because I want people to get something from my message and sure. I want them to like me and I want to get good reviews. And that nervousness comes from, you know, caring so deeply mm. that that is going to happen. I figure that if I didn't get nervous, it was because I didn't care. Yeah. Um, and, but like I said, once I, after the first couple minutes and then what happens afterwards, the most magnificent thing is speakers high. There is nothing better then when you get off that stage and the feelings that you get and speakers high, which is why I don't read any of my, uh, you know, if people are, if I'm getting feedback forms or anything, I don't read anything to the next day. Hmm. I don't want to hear any comments to the next day. I just, just want to bask in the glow nice. because what was happening before is I would get, you know, a hundred feedback forms, 99% of them would be awesome. Oh my God, you totally killed it. And then you'd have that one hater because you're always going to have a hater in the Absolutely. audience, no matter what you do. And then I would focus on that one hater. Like, why didn't they like me? I'm like, I could have reminded him of his ex-wife. You know, I have no idea why you don't relate to somebody, yeah. but that's the thing. So when you just focus on the good, the positive for ourselves, and then, you know, the next day, then it's not raw because again, you walk off that stage, there's that vulnerability there because it's like you basically slice your chest open, take out your heart and hand it to the audience, hoping that they'll like you and that what you're saying is making a difference. And at the, bag, at the end of that, if you have somebody come up to you and say, you know, I counted the fact that you had 22 ums in your, I don't want to hear it. Right. <laughs> Just tell me that, it was, you know, tell me what you learned, tell me what you liked, and that's it. So anyway, <laughs> that was a little bit of a tangent, but no, that's, that was, that's my world. <laughs> I would love to have you back on and just talk about speaking because, you know, I, I want to talk to you about how to break down, you know, the, the different ways of being an effective speaker and your routine before, but I want to be respectful of yeah. your time. I have a few more questions. These are just fun questions. Um, I always like to ask what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Like if you could try anything, what would it be? Man, I've really wanted to, I, I've, I've really done the things that I've wanted to do. I guess if I was supposed to, if I was to have my druthers, uh, I would be a rock star. I would be singing. God gave me a lot of things. A good singing voice was not, not, not one of them. And um, I love it. If I had a good voice, I wouldn't drive my husband nearly as crazy as I do when he has 80s on 8 on <laughs> Sirius XM yes. and I sing every song and he's like, oh my God, can you just stop? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that I would, I would know I would be a good singer. <laughs> it's funny. That's what I would like to do too. So that's interesting. You're the first person that I've asked that question that said that. Um, so... I love this question, which is, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I made a difference. I made people's life. I, I changed the world one thank you at a time. Uh, I love I that. Made, I made people just a bit happier than they would have been if I had not been in their lives. I love that. And last question, which is, what is the mark you want to leave on the world? Which I think you just answered, but. Yeah, I want to change the world one thank you at a time. And yeah. it's, a, it's a practice that's um, so easy to do. It's also easy not to do. And, um, uh, you know, I, I just think that we have so much good that if we just paid attention to it, we could yes. find it. And every single person could find that good if they look for it. And I want to give them the the, the reasons and the encouragement to keep looking for the good. I love that. Um, I, at the beginning of our conversation, you talked about, I think it was a gratitude quiz or um, 
Would you be willing to share that link that I could share it with my listeners that they could sure. check that out? Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I just want to say thank you for your time. We could talk for hours. You have so much knowledge. I would love to have you back in the future and talk about just the speaking part of this. Yeah, um, absolutely. But thank you so much. Guys, if you like this, as I always say, please, you know, share it, like it, give us your reviews. And as I always say, it all starts with a decision. Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Daily Decision. If you like what you hear, please do us a favor, share it, like it, subscribe to it, tell your friends about it. And remember, it all starts with a decision.